0: And welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF, Wolf Studios, in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, go ahead and do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you're going to want to check them out. Yes, and if you're one of my regular listeners and you love what you're hearing, click that five-star rating. You can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. Now today on the show, we're going to talk about own your training. Yes, how to own your training, how to be confident, how to get out there and own your dog. Own your training with your dog. Yes, very important to working with your pup. Now, we'll also talk about psychological concepts revisited. We've talked about Psych 101. We've talked about all that good stuff. And today we're going to try to hit it a little bit of a different angle, Uh, but we're going to go over all that important foundational information. Then comes the first pets and the listener Q&A. If you have questions for the listener Q&A, keep them coming uh, my way. You can email me questions at speakadogcast.com or message me on social media as well. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. The question today is going to be, what is the largest bird of prey in the world? Yes, what is the largest bird of prey in the world? I'll give you the answer to that trivia question somewhere in today's podcast. So be sure you stick around, sit. Stay and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, own your training. You have to have confidence when you're training your dogs. You do. In the animal world, confidence is key. You know, look, we're predators. We are. Human beings are predators. Dogs are predators. We have to treat them as such. We have to act as such. And predators are very confident animals. You know, think about when you're watching the nature channel and you see a predator going after prey. How many times does that predator not get the prey? A lot of animals, it's less than 50% success rate, but they go after that animal as if they are hundred percent certain they're going to get it every single time. Don't they confidence? Do you know what confidence really means in the dog world? It means survival for that matter. The animal world confidence means survival. And I don't know about you guys, but if I'm a basic, basic animal, which human beings are not, but if I were a very basic animal and, are, and I'm a basic predator at the end of the day, I'm not really going to want to listen to somebody who's not confident because that doesn't mean survival. That doesn't mean food, shelter, safety. I don't listen to you, you know? So confidence gets you pretty damn far in animal training, um, but look, too much confidence, it just as with anything, too much confidence is going to be a bad thing. And too much underconfidence, shyness, sure, unsureness, that's a bad thing too. So it's about finding that balanced confidence. You know, in the dog world, confidence, Yeah. well, let's start in the human world. A lot of times in the human world, confidence means arrogance, right? And arrogance is not... It's not calm, cool, and collected. It's not who I'd want to listen to, you know? So confidence in the dog world means you're sure of yourself. You're right every time, no matter what. That sounds arrogant, but (laughs) it's more that you're making the decision as if you're sure every time. That's confidence. Now, some level of confidence is definitely, it's a feel thing. You know, I mean, animals definitely pick up on confidence, on being sure, on, on hesitation, on not hesitating. They pick up on those things, and that's what equals confidence to them. So I often tell my clients, look, I would so much rather you make a mistake in your training, go back after, reanalyze it, and go, eh, I could have done that differently. Because the dog is going to go, oh, you didn't do anything about it, you missed it, and then na boo I got away with that, now I'm going to do it again. They don't really have that capability to go back and analyze it. It's all in the moment. Did I get away with it? Yes. Okay, I'm going to do it again. Whereas if you just react, make a decision and go, boom, you may make a correction you may have not needed, but I'd rather you make a correction you don't need than have missed one that you should have. Confidence. Make a decision. I think that's probably the biggest thing with confidence in dog training. People don't just react and make a decision. They they think about it and then they think too much and worried about that. Well, what if this and what if that? And by the time they've maybe even come to a conclusion, that moment to train your dog and that that confidence you needed in that moment, long gone. You missed it. That's why you have to be reactive when you're training your dog. On top of it, you have to own it. Look, when I started, I think I talked about this recently. When I started years ago um, in training and I was walking my dogs. And this was just when I had two dogs. I had Penny and Colby. And they were, they were good dogs, but I couldn't quite get their walk where I wanted it to be. They were still a little pulling. They were distracted. Um, they weren't with me on the walk. And I'd read in a book that, you know, acting confident, just kind of faking it, to some to fake it till you make it, you know, can get you somewhere. Sure enough, I put my shoulders back, put my head up, stopped worrying about everything and just went, just w- went, you know, put my head down and go. And it changed everything. It changed everything. My dogs all of a sudden were like, "Oh, this guy—he's—he's he's business. Oh, yeah, he's confident. I like. I want to pay attention to that because what does confidence equal? Safety, stability, right, survival. So when I started bringing that confidence on my walk, even when I was faking it at first, it worked. So you have to fake your confidence until you feel comfortable to just be that way. And for that matter, guys, we're creatures of habit. It can be a good thing or a bad thing, but you fake it long enough and you believe it. (laughs) You know, can be a bad thing, but it can be really good for confidence building. If you're one of those people out there where you're maybe a little unsure, a little hesitant with training your dog, I need you to pretend. Let's play some make-believe, guys. Let's go back to our childhood roots. I need you to put on that face, puff yourself up a little, and pretend to be confident, even if you don't feel it deep down inside. Do this in a mirror, you know? Leash up your dog. This is what I want you to do. I want you to leash up your dog, put your dog in a sit and a stay next to you, and look at yourself in the mirror. Try to think how you look when you go out on a walk, how you feel, and and you know, and then replicate that and look in the mirror. Because if you're kind of slouching over, and a little unsure, and just not quite, you know, dog is going to eat you alive, boy. <laughs> okay? But if you're standing there with your shoulders up, Relaxed, but up and back. You have your head in the air, you're relaxed. That's what we're looking for. So you can practice this in the mirror. Sounds kind of silly. I know. Um, but it's true. Practice it in the mirror. Because oftentimes when I tell people, hey, you know, puff yourself up, be a little more confident, they go "Hmm," and puff themselves up to this big thing, and then they're stiff as a board and they're really it's like, no, 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 no. no. No, no, no. We just went from one extreme to the other. That's not what we're looking for. Okay. Confidence in the dog world is about being cool, calm, collected, and sure of yourself. Okay. Look, I'll give me an example. Practice this in front of the mirror. Okay. Relax. Find yourself in that nice, relaxed state, but confident state. And then when you're out on the walk, you're already in that nice, relaxed state. But let's say a dog comes by and your dog gets a little pepped up. I want you to immediately react, make a correction, and go right back to relaxed state. Sit. Good, stay, good, okay? Having that confidence before you start and then bringing it out on the walk with you, then turning it on, making a correction, and then right back to relaxed, okay? You almost have to go through those steps in your head. It's very normal after you make a correction or a redirection to your dog. We tend to like stiffen up (laughs) and that's not really owning it, okay? That's acting almost nervous about it. You're like preparing for the worst to happen. (laughs) That's not how you own your training. Okay, so if you want to own your training, yeah, sometimes you got to fake it and practice it a little bit. You also need to be aware of how your body language is being perceived and what you're giving off. That's where that mirror comes into play. I know it sounds a little silly, but it really allows you to see yourself, literally, you know? Um, Hell, have someone go out on the walk with you and take a video of you. You might be surprised, good or bad, what your walk looks like, what you more importantly, what you look like on your walk. because that's the best place to own your train. It's the best place to accomplish anything in dog training guys, the walk, um, even yourself, you know you're, we're not even talking about training your dog today. We're talking about training you, right? So if you can get out on that walk and let a friend, let a family member take a video of you and let yourself be normal,' <laughs> it's, you're gonna put on the front when the video comes on uh, and see what you look like. There's always room for improvement. But the first way we own our training is that body language side, faking it until you make it a little bit, creating a pattern out of acting confident, out of physically coming across as confident, okay? Um, Now, another big thing with owning your training is practice, 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 practice. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Yeah, practice, 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 okay? And it's no different. You want to own your training. you got to practice with your dog. Even spending just, hey, two two to three times a day for five minutes practicing your commands with your dog, your sit, your stay, you get more comfortable at it. You get more comfortable at pulling the treat out of your pouch, handing them the treat, and that practice is going to carry over when you take your dog out and do other things. Okay, So you have to practice your training in order to own your training. Yes, sure, there's the body language side of it like we talked about, but you have to put this stuff into application in order to be confident with it. Like think back to the first day on the job, right? Your first day on the job that you guys had, your first day in your career, you didn't know everything, right? You can't be confident. You're a little hesitant first day, checking things, make sure I do it right. Now, two years into your job, you're just pumping it out, right? It's like autopilot. You're confident in it after you practice it. So I can't stress it enough. Practicing little things like just doing doing those silly tricks commands a couple times a day can really go, um, excuse me, can really go a long way. Now, the other part of owning your training, guys, it really should be an obvious one. It should be. <laughs> and it relates to our other topic today, psychology. I don't know... I just be, I don't, I haven't met any other trainers in my experience that are really good at what they do without understanding the basic concepts of psychology. So it's kind of hard to act confident and own your training if you don't even know what you're owning, (laughs) right? Without understanding what reinforcement and punishment is, how in the world are you going to own that? How are you going to utilize those tools to train your dog better? You're not. That's the answer. You're not going to. So if you want to own your training, you have to have the knowledge to back it up. So it takes practicing this stuff, right? It really takes practice to make it perfect. You have to start by practicing at home uh, with your own body language. Be aware of what you're giving off. Be aware of what your body language says about you. Um, so, Look, it's sometimes hard to step outside yourself and see it. So standing in that mirror with your dog leashed up, having someone take a video of you, it really can go a long way. Gotta fake it till you make it a little bit. And I promise you, if you fake that confident body language enough, it does become patterned. Now, with that said, we have to practice, 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 practice. That's how we make perfection. Um, And even something as simple as practicing the commands at home, a handful of times a day can go a long way to making you and your dog more comfortable and more confident. All right. Then Of course, the last thing is going to be those psychological concepts. I always have to come back to it. Guys, if you don't know what you're doing, you can't implement it. And if you can't implement it, you can't be confident about it. You have to know what you're doing. So it's always important to have an understanding of those concepts. So guys, really, those three things. You sort of have to fake it till you make it with that body language or just, hey, make it. Be confident with your body language. Give that off to your dog and let them pick up on that confidence, okay? The second thing is you gotta practice. You have to. You gotta practice commands. You gotta practice your training. Practice your leash work. Get more comfortable working with your dog to build your confidence. Third thing is going to be those psychological concepts. If you don't know what you're doing, how are you going to do it? Pretty simple there, right? And now, one more thing I want to talk about really quick in owning your training don't let other people boss you around with training your dog. I see it a lot. Um, you know, I really do. I have clients that tell me all the time that they'll be out in public and they're working through something that they have their treat pouch on, they're working, they're trying to practice and people come up to them and go, oh, you really should be doing it like this. Oh, you really should do it like that. Um, don't let other people do that. Just don't, you know, tell, oh, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. And move on. You know, you don't have to be an But at the same time. Don't let other people do that. Don't let them bully you around. I don't even care if they're a professional. I would look at them and I don't give people advice unless they ask for it because I would look at another professional and go, I'm sorry, did I did I hire you am I, am I paying you? Okay no <laughs> so, so own your training in that the fact that it's your dog. It's your training, and let that empower you, and don't let anybody else tell you otherwise, okay? Have confidence in what you do, guys. Be sure, confidence can be contagious. Don't be arrogant, but be confident. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. on Speak A Dog Cast, psychological concepts revisited. Now, Honestly, we cannot talk about this topic enough. It's the foundational building block, right? Without an understanding of the concepts of psychology, I promise you, you will not be getting the success with your dog that you could be, okay? So it's all about being able to understand what reinforcement is, what punishment is, all that good stuff. And it's funny because I think back, I think back to before I started training dogs and what my perspective was on dogs, on pets, and how you know, and, and it—it's so funny because I—I I remember, and I've talked about this before. I, I remember the day that the light bulb went off above my head, where I went, "Oh my god, it's just—it's just, it's just reinforce, it's just conditioning, it's just reinforcement, it's just punishment, it's just—it's all what you set up, it's all the. And that's what a dog, you know, I I remember the light bulb going off on me when all of a sudden, all of this stuff just made sense and it clicked. And I went, oh my gosh, I've been doing things all wrong. You know? Um, And so that's the thing is I remember when, when I used to approach my dogs from more of a emotional perspective. And that's what people tend to do, isn't it? They approach their dogs from an emotional perspective instead of a psychological perspective. Now look, it's your dog. It's your family member. It's, it's a relationship. It's a close bond that you have with them. Hey, bonding with your dog—that was last episode. Check that out. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I get that there's an emotional, big, very large emotional component to having a dog. But if you want to train your dog, if you really want to look at it from the behavioral standpoint, I'll be—I got news for you. You got to take the emotional stuff and put it to the side. Okay? And it all goes back to understanding the concepts of reinforcement, punishment, all that good stuff. Because again, guys, emotions are not involved when it comes to psychology, the basics of it, human psychology, a little more, but especially with animals, I can't measure happiness in an animal. I can't because it's very, it's, it's left up to the person judging it. You know what I mean? With humans, we can discuss it, we can measure it, we can talk about how we're measuring it, and and we can start to sort of judge happiness, or excuse me, judge, um, gauge happiness and understanding what happiness is. But with animals look, I I don't, we're not getting into the emotional debate today on animals and emotions, but the reality is I can't go, Hey dog, how happy are you today? And he's going to turn to me. Oh, I'm like a 10 today, David. Absolutely. Like first of all, dog's going to say they're a 10 every day, you know, like that's what makes dogs awesome. Um, but yeah, you know, you have to think of it as that this is why I have to remove my emotions because I can't use them with training. Can use affection, but that's not emotions. We get into that. So again, when it comes to training, we have to kind of look at it as the, as this dry cut psychological thing. <laughs> you know, like I, I'll be honest. I've, I've been thinking about this segment for a little while, trying to revisit these concepts because. It's this weird thing to try to explain to you guys because I mean, look, anybody anybody out there, all of you, you know, if you've been doing your profession for a long time and you're really good at it and maybe you're an expert at it or whatever, then your view, your perspective on the world when it comes to whatever your specialty, it's going to be different than the average person. Look, my wife is a prime example. She's an accountant and it's, I find it hilarious and unfortunately, unfortunately, I mean, it's a good thing, but I'm finding myself doing this now. I'll give you an example. Uh, we have friends that'll say, hey, we're, you know, our family member says, hey, I'm moving. I'm moving to this state. I'm moving out of Florida, moving over here. And her first thought is, what are the tax implications of that? <laughs> I love it. It's funny. It's amazing. But it's so true. And I think the same kinds of things when it comes to dogs and training. My first thought is, oh, what are they doing to train that? What are they? You know, it's it's your perspective changes on your profession. And so what I'm getting at is my perspective has changed so much over the years, for for the better, I think, um, on what pets are and the psychology that goes behind it. And so I sort of forget sometimes, you know, you sort of forget the way the average person views dogs. And so in order to bridge this gap of the average owner who doesn't, you know, you're you're not, you don't work in behavior and psychology for a living. I don't expect you to unknow these concepts when I walk in or first start working with you. Um, So when I walk in, and, you know, I obviously I get everybody, I mean, all different kinds of professions I come across, uh, whether it's re- someone who's retired or a stay-at-home mom or an accountant <laughs> or a doctor or a lawyer or, I mean, all these different professions that I come across. And the reality is, guys, everybody learns differently. Everybody thinks differently. And that's why, I mean, anybody who has ever worked with a doctor, you know what I'm saying. Um, doctors are, are particular. They're particularly good at one thing. Um, (laughs) Enough said. Anyway, so I try to tailor my training and teaching the psychology behind. I try to kind of, if I can, I try to adapt it in a way that my clients can understand that's relevant to their perspective on how they see things. Now, at the same time, these concepts are sort of like, you know, there's certain things that are cemented, and this is the way it is. But the way I try to explain it might change. So I've been trying to go about this segment and revisiting this and trying to think, how can, I, how can I explain this in a better way? I mean, I'm always trying to do that. How can I make this explanation better? So I want you all to try to stick with me today. We're going to run over this psychology, uh, uh, the, the concepts of psychology, the reinforcement, the punishment, that kind of stuff. But I want you to stay with me. Now, the first thing I'm going to ask of you, clear your mind. Clear your mind of anything you think you know about training and about psychology. I'm not saying you don't know anything. It's not at all what I'm trying to say. What I am trying to say is I want you to come into this with a blank perspective, because there is a chance that I'm going to give you information that's new to you, that you haven't heard before. Um, And I don't want your preconceived notions or preconceived ways in the past to fight you. (laughs) You know what I mean? To fight what I'm going to try to get across here in this information, okay? Okay. So forget everything you think, you know, (laughs) and let's start from scratch. Behavior. When it comes to behavior, guys, this is just what it is. There's only two ways that we get behavioral patterns in life, right? You form behavioral patterns every day. You know, the way you do your morning routine, that's a behavioral pattern. Uh, The way you even take out the trash, believe it or not, behavioral patterns, the way we do everything. They're just behavioral patterns. Now, behavioral patterns, it's very simple, right? A behavioral pattern is either going to increase and be strengthened, or the behavioral pattern is going to decrease and be punished. Okay. Or excuse me, be weakened. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. So a behavior is either going to be is either going to increase and be strengthened, or it's going to decrease and be weakened, right? So that is the only two ways that we get behavior, whether it's a dog, bird, cat, human, doesn't matter. The only way behavioral patterns are formed is they are either strengthened and increase or they are weakened and they decrease. Okay. So you guys, you're a human, I think. Uh, (laughs) You know how you operate. You either are going to do something, right? Right now you're going to go outside and after this, after you're done, listen to the podcast. You're going to go outside and here's a simple one, the weather. You ready for this? You ready for this? Guy? How about the fact that you're going to walk outside and go, oh, it's raining right now. Nope, I don't want to go back inside. I'm going to stay inside. Being out in the rain is a behavioral pattern that gets weakened. Most people don't want to be out when the rain and get soggy and wet. So that's a behavioral pattern that decreases going out into the rain. We work to avoid that, don't we? We work to avoid getting rained on. Okay, so stick with me here, right? So that behavioral pattern is going to decrease, it's going to weaken because you don't wanna get wet. Now, let's say you go outside in 20 minutes, if you're in Florida, that's all you gotta do, wait a few minutes, go outside, and all of a sudden the sun is shining, and now you go, yeah, I'm ready to go outside now, no rain, boom, now I'm gonna go outside. Well, that behavioral pattern of going outside just increased, right? it strengthened it. The sunshine strengthened, I want to go outside now. So think of it this way. Reinforcement, the word reinforcement, the word reinforcement. Reinforcement means to increase or strengthen something. Okay? So I could argue that the sunshine and beautiful weather is reinforcement. Because I want to go outside and increase that. I want to be out there more, increase my activity outside. So if it's sunny and shining, I'm going to go outside. That's a type of positive reinforcement. Now, we're going to stay with just the reinforcement for the moment. That's a type of reinforcement. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but some of you might be seeing that already. So we're adding a stimulus. Okay. All right. Now, let's go back to the rain. It's raining outside. I don't want to go outside. I'm going to work to avoid that. The way we decrease in weakened behavior, right, that's called punishment or a consequence or an aversive. Now, guys, is the rain going to hurt you? No. (laughs) No, the rain's not going to harm you. But you do work to avoid it because you don't want to be soggy and wet. So therefore, that behavioral pattern is decreasing. Well, what did I just say? If a behavioral pattern decreases or weakens, it's being punished. Yes, believe it or not, the rain is a form of punishment if you work to avoid it. All right, guys, so stick with me here. We talked about reinforcement, strengthening and increasing, and we talked about uh, punishment, weakening and decreasing. So the definition of reinforcement is a stimulus to increase the targeted behavior. A stimulus to increase the targeted behavior. Now there's positive and negative reinforcement. We're gonna talk about this in a second, so I'm just gonna give you the little intro version. Positive reinforcement is the addition of a stimulus to increase the targeted behavior. Negative reinforcement is the removal of a stimulus in order to increase a targeted behavior. Ah, we're gonna start getting tricky. All right, hang with me, hang with me. Okay. now, punishment, what did I just say the, vo- the the rain is, right? You don't like the rain, so you work to avoid the rain. So by definition, punishment is anything an animal works to avoid. Anything an animal works to avoid. Guys, in a parking lot, think this is like the silliest thing, but seriously, stick with me here. In a parking lot. You're driving down and all of a sudden you come across and there's a speed bump in the park. One of those stupid little ones. (laughs) Really tough to go over and just kicks your butt. But there's no cars parked in the parking spots on the side of the speed bump. What are you going to do? Well, you're going to swerve your butt around that speed bump and not hit the speed bump, aren't you? You are working to avoid the speed bump. Therefore, the speed bump is a form of punishment. How about the fact of what is the concept of a speed bump? It's to get you to slow down. So you're working to avoid that huge bump. So it's decreasing your speed. Ah, because you work to avoid going over the hard bump. What's the definition of punishment? Anything an animal works to avoid. Did you work to avoid it? Yes, guess what? A speed bump is a form of punishment, guys. What? David, no way. <laughs> Yes way. A speed bump is a form of punishment, guys. Anything an animal works to avoid. And punishment is how we decrease and weaken behavior, right? The concepts are actually pretty simplistic, but that's what makes them complicated, right? Like, that's what makes it complicated. So, again, as I've said before, um, actually, we'll hold off on the flow chart thing as I've talked about. Let's go back to positive and negative reinforcement, right? So we talked about punishment. Now we got punishment. It's anything an animal works to avoid. We use punishment to decrease and weaken behavior. If there's a behavior I don't like, I need it to decrease, I have to use some kind of punishment, right? The people who build the roads, the the, the civil engineers out there, they see this straightaway road that everybody's speeding down. What do we need to do? We need to decrease those speeders. How do we decrease the speeders? We give them something to work to avoid. (laughs) Isn't it fascinating? It's all around you guys. Psychology is all around. Start thinking when you're around. You're going to start seeing it now. You're going to hit a speed bump tomorrow and go, ah, damn it, David. You just, that's a punishment. I look at that. I work to avoid it. I'm seeing it now. You're going to start seeing it everywhere. You know why? Because it is everywhere. Look, I'm just gonna make the side comment on these force-free trainers. This is why force-free training is a crock of crap, guys. This is why force-free training is a crock of crap. A speed bump is a form of force. If you drove over a speed bump today, you used force in your life to teach you to slow down. Sorry, no such thing as force-free training. (laughs) Okay, that's my little side note. Now let's get back on track. Positive and negative reinforcement, such misunderstood concepts, now, we hadn't said this yet, so I'm throwing it out there now. Here it is. Positive and negative do not mean good and bad when it comes to psychology and behavior. It's science, guys. In math class, positive and negative don't mean good and bad, do they? There's no emotional connotation there. So why is it any different when we head on over to science class? It's not. It's not any different. It's not. It's a misconception. It is not true. Positive and negative do not mean good and bad when it comes to behavior and psychology. I cannot say this enough times. Positive and negative do not mean good and bad. Here it is, guys. Positive reinforcement is the addition of a stimulus to increase a targeted behavior. Negative reinforcement is the removal of a stimulus in order to increase a targeted behavior. Kind of dry, a little tricky. Okay, so... Really what it comes down to is I I, I sort of like, okay, first of all, guys, first of all, rules are arbitrary, right? Like rules don't mean anything. Whether you want your dogs on, on or off a couch, there is no right or wrong to that. There isn't. So rules are an arbitrary thing that you make up. And your rules might not align with the person next to you. Your rules for your dog, right? So... If that's the case, then I can't say, well, we use positive reinforcement to keep our dog off the couch. Well, then what are the people using to keep their dog on the couch? They're also using positive reinforcement, guys. Okay? It's understanding how to apply this stuff. And I know I'm getting a little tricky here. Okay? Because I'm not going... All right. So let's say I really love... I really... This is my favorite example to use. And I've said it before on the podcast, and it's worth repeating because it's it's a great example because everybody can relate to this. We were all kids once upon a time. The easiest way to understand positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, and punishment is going back to being a little kid. <laughs> okay, everybody was a little kid. Y'all can relate to this. When you're a little kid and you throw a tantrum, what happens? Your mom and dad are going to go, hey, go to your room. And you storm off and, and you're crying and they send you to your room. And What the parent is trying to, and we all know this, what you're trying to accomplish is you want your kid to stop crying so, you send them to their room, you know it, you already know it. It's a punishment, it's a consequence. That's the whole point of sending a kid to their room or putting them in a timeout. And so, what do you do? You're taking away the child's freedom. Isn't that amazing? Like, God, wouldn't it be nice to be five again that taking away your freedom for two minutes is like the worst possible thing that could happen to you in the universe? Like, man, I miss those days. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so much easier, right? Anyway, so you get the point, it's pretty basic. I want my kid to stop crying. I got to send them to their room and put them in a timeout. Now, once they stop crying, then they're giving me the behavior I want. Well, I don't want to keep on punishing them if they're doing the right thing now, right? So I have to take the punishment away to tell them, hey, oh, you stopped crying. Oh, I don't want to keep punishing you. Let's take the punishment away to show you I like that you stopped crying. So if I sent them to their room, taking the punishment away would be letting them out of the room, right? Pretty simple. Now, think about what we're doing here. If I applied a punishment to get them to, to stop doing the you know, undesired behavior, crying, and then they stop crying and I remove the punishment, I remove the punishment, then I'm actually doing, uh, I'm applying negative reinforcement, okay? The removal of a stimulus in order to increase a targeted behavior. In this case, I remove the punishment, the room, I remove the stimulus, the time out, the room, okay, in order to increase the targeted behavior of the kid stopping crying does that make sense most people think negative reinforcement means punishment, and I'm telling you right now, it absolutely 120,000 percent does not. One of my biggest pet peeves in the world. Oh, that's negative. That's negative reinforcement. No, that was punishment. Try again. Um, <laughs> it's a big pet peeve of mine. Like I Big Bang Theory. Anybody ever watch Big Bang Theory out there? There are two episodes where they talk about this, and it drives me crazy because one episode they completely butcher it, and it's Sheldon too, of all people, talking about it. He butchers it. And he says negative reinforcement is punishment. He does. Now it's a TV show, right? But it's supposed to be a TV show based on science that they usually do their research on. So that really disappointed me. However, a few seasons later, they did a follow-up episode where they talked about it again, and they actually used the terms correctly that time. Almost like someone caught the mistake and said something, you know? Cool stuff, in my opinion, that they fixed it. Um, Annoys me that it was incorrect to begin with, because that's how misinformation starts, guys. It's that kind of stuff that spreads the misinformation of what it really should be. Hmm. Interesting. It's almost like you should, you know, pick up that little phone in your hand and Google it yourself and do your own research. Weird. Um, anyway. <laughs> All right. So, getting back to it, guys. Little kid tantrums. I say, oh, I, I need that behavior to stop. I want the tantruming to, and crying to decrease. So, I have to apply a punishment. Go to your room. Okay. I apply the punishment. They stop crying. I want to remove the punishment to tell them, hey, I like that. Keep doing that. So, in order to do that, I have to remove the punishment, which is negative reinforcement. Now, let's say I let them out of the room. I've removed the punishment and they keep being good. Cool. Let's be best friends. Number one, you get to keep staying out here. You get to keep having your freedom, adding a stimulus of freedom to positively reinforce the behavior because we're adding a stimulus. Notice, guys, it doesn't have to be like, oh, good boy, (laughs) even for a four-year-old. Oh, good boy, four-year-old. It doesn't have to be dessert. It can be, but it can be something as simple as letting them keep their freedom. That is adding a stimulus to increase the calm behavior. Now, let's say they keep being good. Well, I can throw even more positive reinforcement out. Okay? But what if they start tantruming again? Tantrum. Guess what? Go back to your room. Here's the timeout again. Punishment in order to decrease that behavior. Behavior decreases. I let you out of your room. The kid goes, boy, every time I cry, I get sent to my room. But every time I stop crying, they let me out. Boy, I don't think I want to cry as much anymore. Right, and you can see when you when you're teaching a little kid, what do they do? They usually start figuring it out and trying to hold in their crying, <laughs> because they're working to avoid the punishment. Fascinating. It's almost like there's a science behind it or something. Um, <laughs> So I really kind of wanted to dive into this a bit today trying to go from a little different perspective and it's tough Sometimes it's tough you get you know, you get you get caught in it when you do this for a living uh, Anybody when you do any kind of profession for a living you kind of get caught up in it sometimes and it's good to try to take a step back And see it from a different light. The information is still the same those fat that that stuff never changes Okay, but the fact remains you cannot get away from this this is the way the world you works, <laughs> the way the world turns. You cannot escape this stuff. The only two ways, the only two ways to get any kind of behavioral pattern in this world is either reinforcement or punishment, right? Reinforcement is going to increase and strengthen behaviors. Punishment is going to decrease and weaken behaviors. Don't forget, guys you sure as heck can reinforce undesired behaviors. I watch parents do it all the time. I watch dog owners do it all the time. Stop being those people. Only reinforce and strengthen behaviors you find desirable. And then punish and decrease behaviors you find undesirable. It's really that simple at the end of the day. It requires consistency, repetition, and more importantly, understanding the psychological concepts. on Speak A Dogcast, it's The First Pets. Today on The First Pets, we'll be talking about Franklin Pierce. Franklin Pierce was the 14th president of the United States, serving from 1853 to 1857. Now, Pierce is not known for being a memorable or popular president. He actually lost the bid from his own party to run for a second term. While he may have not been... Uh, had many successes rather as president he was able to open some trade relations with japan now this this was actually quite an accomplishment as japan had closed its borders to foreigners since 1683. after returning from the trip to sign the treaty u.s representative commodore matthew perry brought back many gifts from the emperor now among those gifts were seven adorable teacup-sized dogs It is believed that they were Japanese chin dogs. Now, these dogs were often called sleeve dogs because they were able to fit into the sleeve of a kimono. Now, President Pierce fell in love with the dogs who wouldn't, but he knew that he couldn't possibly keep them all, so he gifted the dogs to various friends and colleagues, but he kept one for himself and his wife. Now, one of the recipients was Verena Davis, wife of then-Secretary of War Jefferson Davis. She described these dogs as a head like a bird with a blunt beak, eyes large and popped, and a body like a newborn puppy of the smallest kind. Verena went on, she went on, uh, Verena went on to add that these dogs were so small they could scamper around on a coffee saucer. <laughs> now These tiny dogs went over anybody they came in contact with. And I just, I love it. You know, I love how dogs were a means to bridge the gap between two nations. You know, even speaking a different language, the love of dogs transcends all cultures. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the largest bird of prey in the world? It's the Andean condor. Yes, Andean condors are native to South America. Now they are a new world vulture, and they're in the same order as many birds of prey, including hawks, eagles, uh, vultures, But the thing is, new world vultures are classified different than old world, and so it's sort of up for debate if the Andean condor truly is the largest bird of prey, being that they're a vulture. Um, So kind of up for debate, but we're going with that generalized, kind of generalized accepted that the Andean condor is the largest bird of prey in the world. on Speak A Dog Cast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Timothy from Tampa, Florida. Timothy says, my mom's dog is possessive over her. She barks and growls at anybody that tries to come near her. She's a chihuahua, so my mom doesn't think it's a problem because of her size. She has not bit anybody yet, but I'm worried, you know, unchecked, this could get worse. What can I do? Timothy, good question. Um, you know, possessive issues are never cute, no matter the size or the breed of the dog. Uh, sounds like you know that, but maybe your mom doesn't. You know, look honestly, really the best thing to do is you need to hire a professional. Uh, you need somebody to come in and tell your mom, not you know, not her son. Uh, <laughs> have somebody that has is from you know, outside perspective, a third party come in and tell your mom that hey, you know, this isn't okay, and we need to fix this. It might be better received from a third party like that. That's really you know, my suggestion. Um, but you know, short of your mother changing her behavior and changing her dog's behavior, there's not necessarily a lot you can do because well, it's not your dog. Now, if you can train her, (laughs) there are some things you can do, but at the same time, like you got to get past that aggression stuff first. It's not, um, it's not going to be easy, but if you can start bare minimum, look, if you can leash up that dog and take it for a walk safely, uh, I don't want you getting bit then by all means, you know, give it some exercise. That's where I would start. Exercise is always where I start, right? Uh, So feel free to start with some exercise. But look, like I said, at the end of the day, you got to get some serious training going on. And it is absolutely 100% going to have to involve your mom and your mom changing her ways. Not ideal, but that's about all you can do. Next question. This comes from Sydney from Reno, Nevada. Sydney says, I recently moved to a new neighborhood and it seems like everyone in my neighborhood doesn't care if their dogs are secure or not. Almost every day we walk in the neighborhood, a loose dog runs up to me and my dog on the walks and a lot of times they're smaller dogs and they'll start snarling and barking at us. Now luckily my dog is very tolerant and understands it's better to be calm in a situation like that, but most of the time I end up freezing and I take some time, taking some time to assess my options. I was wondering what should I do in those situations so I don't just freeze and walk away. Well, Sydney, thank you again for the question. Uh, I know you've sent a couple questions over and that's fantastic. You know, I think you you said that you were were worried. Maybe you were asking a lot of questions. No worries. Hey, that's what this is for. You know, this is the Q&A. Send over your questions as many as you want. That's the whole point. So all good. Uh, And thank you again. I love it. Anyway, so look, tough, tough thing. I mean, it just stinks. I deal with this kind of crap all the time. It it, mm, gets under my skin. You know, people not taking responsibility for their pets. And for that matter, you're in your neighborhood. Loose dogs. Those dogs are going to get hit by a car. I mean, they're going to get injured. How about a wild animal? You know, I mean, crazy. There's all kinds of things that can happen to your dog being out loose, guys. And unless, you know, you're saying these are small dogs, even crazier. God forbid a bobcat or something comes along out there. Um, But hey, all right. So, you know, what can you do? There's a couple things you can do. But first and foremost, I want to say that, look, sometimes the best option is just turning and walking away. You know, you say that you don't want to just freeze and walk away. But at the same time, you can't predict every dog out there. You know, what if it's a dog you've never seen before? You don't know what that dog's intent is necessarily. And even if you can finally judge, it's a quick, quick decision. You got to decide real quick. Is this dog just excited? Is he just warning me or is he coming after me? You know, you got to make fast decisions there and that's never fun. So I just want to say that sometimes turning and walking away is not a bad idea. Now, you don't want to turn and run in a panic, you know. Uh, Look at it this way. You're sort of kind of finding the middle ground. You're not turning and running and hightailing it out of there. At the same time, you're not sticking around and challenging that dog potentially, you know, that you could do that inadvertently. Uh, Instead, you're kind of just turning and walking away. No big deal. You're not turning and looking over your shoulder. Just turn and go, okay? That's really the best thing you can do a lot of the time. I, I know. it's like It kind of stinks. It's interrupting your walk. It's probably not the route you want to go, but it is what it is. So don't let walking away necessarily be terrible, especially if your dog knows what to do and he stays caught. That's awesome, like cool. That's more power to you and use that to your advantage to just be able to diffuse the situation by getting out of there. Uh, I know it stinks. Um, Look, also you need to to know your leash laws uh, because quite frankly, I don't. I don't know your leash laws in Reno. (laughs) I know mine in Florida. Uh, But you gotta know your leash laws out there because sometimes the law will actually be on your side you can take videos. Look, I, my, my own Martin County, uh, Martin County animal services. I love them. They're, they're wonderful. And their recommendation to me was to actually take videos of these people doing this. And I could actually get a, Snapshot of their plate, send it over to the sheriff's office, and they will knock knock on their door and serve them a ticket. How fantastic is that. Uh, I don't know if your sheriff's department is that wonderful ours is. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, look, know the laws and know if the law is on your side. because you all believe it or not, even in Florida, you have you ready for this one? You have a loose dog out. You actually have the right to pick that dog up and take it to a shelter. You know what I mean? Like even if, even if the owner's there, if there's a loose dog, you can pick that dog up and take it to a shelter because that's a, that's a loose dog. It's an unleashed dog, and even if the owner's there, they're breaking the law, okay? Look, a while back, I had a neighbor where their dog was getting on my property a lot. It was becoming a problem, and animal services straight up told me, put the dog in your car take them down to the shelter. They're going to have to pay to get their dog out. You know, the dog is safe, right? Because it's in a shelter and you know, your animals are now safe because it's no longer there. And then they have to pay to get it out. And it's an inconvenience. And you know, uh, maybe they'll learn their lesson essentially is what they said. Now we we get the police involved and it was not took care of itself in the end. But, uh, anyway, Sydney, yeah, you know, Man, I hate it. I hate off leash dogs. I really do. It's just it why do you have the dog if you're just gonna toss it outside? you know, like come on. Um, so good on you, but look, the best thing I'll say this. look, if you come around the corner and you got a dog charging at you, you do kind of want to just stop. Stop walking, stop dead in your tracks. Don't puff yourself up. don't get scared and this is tough. you know, try to remain calm. Try to remain calm, take a deep breath, and just relax. Take two, three, four seconds to assess the situation, what's gonna happen. And if you feel like you really just don't like what you're seeing, turn and walk away. Honestly, that is the best thing you can do in those unwinnable scenarios. Because it is, it's an unwinnable scenario because you don't know what that dog's gonna do. The owner's in the wrong, you're not doing anything wrong. uh, And again, you can't control everybody else. You can't control everybody else's dogs. It's just not possible. Um, But that's what I usually do. Sometimes you can even, and look, I... I'm good at reading their behavior, you know, that's just the truth, so disclaimer, this is not necessarily what you want to do, and a lot of times I got a big pack of dogs with me, so I'll be honest, it's easy to intimidate another dog with a pack of dogs, because sometimes I'll just stand there and kind of wait, and even my dogs will maybe kind of let out a little growl, warning, they should, in that moment, and I'll tell them to stop, and then they stop. But the point is, they're kind of putting up the defense and saying, hey, you know, back off. Uh, (laughs) I don't really recommend you do that because again, my dogs are really well-trained, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough situation, Sydney. I I know I'm kind of rambling on about it because there's just, it's frustrating. It's frustrating, isn't it? Um, but really best thing you can do, stand still, don't freak out remain calm, take a deep breath. If you don't like what you see, just turn and go the other way. Don't hightail it out of there, no running away, nothing like that, just turn and walk away. If it really becomes a problem, how about just trying to knock on your neighbor's door? Be nice about it, don't be a jerk. I know it's tough not to be. <laughs> they deserve it. Um, but maybe try to go the diplomatic route and talk to your neighbors. See if you can do that. And again, know your laws. If it's on your side, snap a picture, send it to the cops, call ASPCA, call your animal shelter, call animal control. I know it's not what you want to do. You don't want to make enemies. At the same time, you need to do what's best for yourself, your dog and unfortunately got to do its best for their dog don't you because they're not doing it so hope that helps you out sydney not always the ideal situation i know that info it's 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 only so much you can do that's gonna wrap up the podcast today thank you so much for listening in if you love what you're hearing click that five star rating follow me on instagram at speak a dogcast. have a wonderful week and don't forget get out there and walk your dog